Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Struggle Session. I'm Leslie the Third, and I'm Emma Bowers. And unfortunately, uh, Jack is not joining us today because he just messaged me and said that he's um, not feeling well. He said he was feeling nauseous, possibly a little bit dizzy. Um, I'm not sure why, but I did tell him that that he needs to go ahead and read all of Uzumaki today. So he was ingesting a lot of spirals. And I'm not sure um, if Jack is going to be okay, to be honest with you. Because after seeing as many spirals as he's had, and we know Jack, he looks at the darkest corners of the internet for content for Jack AM for struggle session. So um, get well soon, Jack. But if like he turns into a snail or something, um, <laughs> I don't know, but I'm not responsible because this is his job and he should be here. But you understand um, my background is an animal outreach. And um, if this happens, we'll keep him in a little hutch and give him lots of lettuce. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, we do have a very special guest today. You know we had to get him on. We get him on every October to talk about horror because he has one of the most brilliant minds uh, for horror that I've ever encountered. His intellect honestly staggers me. I'm so happy uh, to have you back on, Brad and Sutton of The Discourse. Thank you so much for joining us again. No, it's always my pleasure to come on Struggle Section. Uh, I said Struggle Section. Fuck. <laughs> Damn it. No, no. It's, uh, I'm just messing with you. It's always my pleasure to come on Struggle Session uh, to replace any of your hosts whenever you need me to. Although, unfortunately, the way the internet works is that because there is now two black hosts, this is now a black podcast. Yes, unfortunately <laughs> now. Which uh, is appropriate for Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. And today, I already said it, but we're talking Uzumaki, Junji Ito's, one of his masterpieces. He might have multiple. I just read this thing again today, and I have forgotten how goddamn good it is. We're also going to be talking about the film, which I actually watched today, and I don't think is nearly as good. But Uzumaki, Junji Ito, he is a Japanese horror master, a mangaka. He does the writing and the drawing. He makes, like, if you ever seen, like, a fucked up manga image online, there's a 50% chance it's Junji Ito. He's basically uh, the closest thing that Japan has to H.P. Uh, Lovecraft besides maybe uh, Edogawa Rampo. He is just an amazing, amazing artist. I love his work uh, so much. And I'm so happy to be finally uh, be able to uh, talk about him. I just want to ask Emma, since you are our uh, anime correspondent, Brandon, you're an expert on all things horror. Just give me, uh, why don't you tell me briefly, like, what's been your experience with uh, Junji Ito and his work? Junji Ito is something um, I actually really got into him because of his horror stories. And the big one, I think, and this is the one I think most people know, and it's the one where it's, it's gotten one of those things where it's tr it's so well known that it's been referenced in the West. It was referenced in uh, Steven Universe, and it's um, and um, I'm, I've lost my job because I cannot remember the name of it. But it's the one about the, the falls. In the, the, in yes. the enigma of 
uh, Amigara Falls. Yes, and um, and you, I remember this. I told you and Shannon this. You were like, recommend horror movies. I'm like, I cannot. I am a wuss. I hate anything that is people dying horribly, someone killing people, and yet I love literal and visual horror. Just something about that. And his the, the his all his stories, just the unknown and just this terrible like you said hp lovecraft-esque um like um like deep knowing that these are not things you can defeat with garlic or holy water or silver or thoughts and prayers you know it is something beyond your comprehension and that shit i love so i don't i will admit probably if you were to sit me down and quiz me i probably have not read as much jinji ito as a better anime correspondent (laughs) um but everything i read of his i love and um i have not read uzumaki in a million bazillion years and got sit down and reread it and i adored it <laughs> i on the other hand am a huge junji ito fan i think i might have read almost everything by him um i'm a big fan of his anthologies he has a few sort of collections of he has a few collections of like anthology stories that are comprised of you know five or six chapters with individual discrete stories in them and they are for the most part amazing um i would consider them to be on par with any you know i would put them in on converse in conversation with the stephen king or an hp lovecraft Mm. or even a clive barker as well like his work has similar themes and similar you know i can't say influences although i have a hard time believing he hasn't been at least slightly influenced by the works of hp lovecraft no he definitely definitely yeah no they've done interviews he totally has yeah of course, of course. I mean, it's hard to say, it, you know, even just the theme and the location of like the seaside and the ocean and the depths that, uh, you know, the depths of the ocean being the origin of a lot of his, you know, monstrosities, especially in Gia, which is where the yeah. enigma of Amagara Fault comes from. It, it all appeals to me. And I, and I would say Uzumaki is not my favorite. I think Gio is the one I prefer, if only because I find it more frightening. But like, I would say Uzumaki is probably his most rich, <laughs> rich work. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I just like, I'm, it's, it's, when I read him, I'm truly like staggered by like how effective he is at conveying like visceral horror just using black and white manga i don't i didn't think i could be like scared by a comic book uh possibly until i read uh junji ito um but before we get into the manga of uzumaki let's talk a little bit about the film uzumaki because I have to say, you know, Uzumaki is one of those. I put it on our list of 31 horror movies uh, to watch uh, for Halloween. And I want to now apologize <laughs> because I actually don't think it's that good or really that worth watching. It's, it, watch Tomie. Watch, watch the Tomie movies instead if you haven't gotten the chance to Uzumaki. Because even though there's some cool stuff in it. Uh, but like this was a movie when I back in my you know watching J horror all the time days that I never got around to. People said it was good, but like I just happened to never watch it, and I'm kind of you know glad I didn't because um, it's just like it has everything wrong with like modern Japanese horror movies um, as far as like being tonally inconsistent, having weird music 
over overacting, bad camera work, all of that. But this was like during the heyday of J horror when it was actually really good. Like this is like, this has elements of like everything that you hate about modern like anime adaptations or manga, manga adaptations. A lot of times it just looks and feels like really cheap and cheesy and doesn't get the juice really like the spirit of junji the right but the other half of the time it kind of does it really like the color palette of it is perfect the shots of like the empty creepy uh japanese towns which is i have to say is very accurate to actually being in rural japan this is what a very good movie to see what living in rural japan would actually be like um but on the like and even like the last uh chapter of it uh the ending of it where is basically just them replicating images from the manga is actually quite good um but it's on on the whole the movie is just kind of i feel like it's kind of a mess even some of the casting is bad like uh the main uh uh, guy, uh, Chuichi, he just looks too much like a damn nerd to be like the lead <laughs> of the uh, film. The bully was really like good looking and hot. He was a good, uh, he was a very nice icky man. That was very good casting. Uh, but the lead boy, he was just too much of a nerdy guy. Um, it, it has some good stuff in it, but on the whole, I just did not really like, uh, this movie. But what, what did y'all think? Same thing, honestly, because I, like I said, I got really caught up in the few days we said we're going to do this. So I read all of Uzumaki. I was like, this is amazing. And then last night I was like, yeah, I got to watch the the movie. And I was so underwhelmed. Like, I was like, okay. And the, yeah, like visually there's some really good scenes and some of the, the gore and the body horror is nicely done. But I, here's my thing. I felt like the manga has such a good pace in what it wants to show, which and I'm sure we'll get into this about the manga which is there's this overall story but in the middle are these little kind of um little short stories in the yes. middle and the 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 movie seems to want to take these short stories like oh there's the boy and he kind of likes to scare people and you know and there's the girl and she's she's pretty she has nice hair and the dad like spirals a little too much and it's trying to make them so they all kind of come to a conclusion towards the end and i, I get as a filmmaker you want to do that because that's how film work versus is how comics work but it felt so odd and I felt so overwhelmed I did that thing where I'm like I'm looking at my phone you know and yeah. I'm looking at, I'm trying to like read like look at Beastars fan art and stuff like, <laughs> you know I'm like all over the place and I feel like normally when I'm trying to watch something especially because they put me on a podcast and they're like you better talk about this I try to be on top and I just kept catching myself losing interest same same i i found it you know very dull for the most part i actually thought initially in the first few minutes they were doing some interesting things by introducing like the scary boy the jack-in-the-box boy mm. a little bit earlier than the manga I thought, okay so they're gonna they're gonna introduce us to all these characters a little bit early and then it's gonna pay off along the way but it really doesn't work like that there's this big period in the middle where almost nothing uh happens and uh, even before that they have like title cards and sections so i thought okay maybe they're gonna make it an anthology that would have worked too but they absolutely do not make it an anthology <laughs> yes. and the title cards serve no purpose uh whatsoever 
Yeah, I have to echo those sentiments. I think that when you actually read through Uzumaki, and I believe the movie was started and maybe finished before the manga Yes, was. yes, it was. So, like, that could explain why at certain points it's stronger because it's drawn directly from the manga that or that already been written in certain parts it's weaker. But I think you hit the nail on the head where, like, the manga has, has a sort of, you know, anthology feel where you're, like, you're really seeing the decline of this entire town, or rather, this entire town descent into madness through the lens of Shuichi and Kyrie, his you know high school girlfriend. Where the movie itself, because the manga is so rich and there are so many different kinds of things happening right around a central premise, the movie is more of a straightforward kind of Japanese horror film where you have like you have some of these elements pulled in from the manga, but they don't really have a chance to take center stage because ultimately you're still focused on like. The main plot, which is Shuichi, his family, you know, his family's uh, descent into like, well, spiral, <laughs> becoming a spiral and where the, the, the things that the things that make the town so feel so complete and so ominous and even just like the the notion that Shuichi and Kyrie for a large portion are the only ones who are seemingly reacting appropriately to the yeah. strange stuff yeah. going on you know even though people have reactions to you know people turning into snails it seems as though only these two are privy to like oh this is super weird not just like <laughs> mildly distressing uh you know like the movie is forced to be a little bit more i don't know toned down i think that tomie makes a better movie it makes a better movie because it, it kind of already fits that structure i would also argue that probably gyo would make a better movie but uzumaki is just it's so broad and so rich in some of its elements is trying to draw on it's just there's just not enough room for it to breathe but i would say that also explains why that's also the rationale for why a lot of hp lovecraft mo- stuff isn't made into into movies because there's just too much going on yeah or uh you know they actually did make a Gyo um anime that's actually f- uh, pretty good. It's yes, pretty I have I have an old acquaintance from back in my anime con days, uh Daryl Surratt, like really funny motherfucker, and he has a panel called um Anime's Craziest Deaths. And it's what it sounds like. It is just an hour of people in anime dying ridiculously. And one of his go-tos was animated Gyo and that shark, that fucking land shark eating everyone. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it's, called, it's actually called the Street Shark. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I mean, right? I mean, as far as I know, Cartoon Network Adult Swim is is, is trying to make Uzumaki into. Uh, yes, they are. Yes. It's like a, it looks the trailer looks good. It looks black and white. I think it's gonna do much better than that um like weird like Junji Ito presents or whatever it was, which was mediocre at best, apparently. Yeah, I didn't hear any good things about it. Like, I I haven't watched it yet because there's a guy who basically has a YouTube channel dedicated to like talking about how much he loves Junji Ito and like the the video that he did for that anime series was just so like down and disappointed that I actually never went back to watch it because that because if anybody would love that anime series it would have been that guy um but unfortunately uh it didn't really uh I guess it didn't really uh work but yeah I I, I can say like Uzumaki, I guess if you're watching like every, if you've seen every other J horror classic J horror, maybe this is worth having on in the background, and you can look up in the last uh, ten minutes where they just go 
um, full kind of creepy with it, but otherwise it's not really um, worth your time, uh, sad, sad, sad to say. But moving on to the much, much better manga. And goddamn, I read I read all of it today and I am just I'm just I was just floored. I was just floored by like how, you know, slowly it kind of starts off where it gets you at this, you know, where you're just seeing these vignettes, these little short stories. Um, and, you know, they're pretty creepy. But by the middle, it's like the stories and the horror that's happening gets like incredibly fucked up. And then it becomes like apocalyptic and like everything just uh, spirals uh, into hell i cannot say enough good things about this i think it's just like a work of a genius and i have to give props to uh viz media because they've been putting out all this work in these really nice hardcover editions that are pretty affordable um and the translation on Uzumaki is pretty well done. Tomie not so good, sad to say. Uh, uh it's still very stilted, but the translation on Uzumaki pretty on point. Um so I definitely recommend if you can, if you want to skip the fans translation, picking up the official one as well. This is the one thing on Struggle Session we've ever said to officially buy is probably <laughs> this manga. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I, what, what's your, you guys overall impressions of Uzumaki? I loved it. Like I said, I, um, I was, I was saving this in my head for, um, you know, like our little wrap up at the end, but I'll say this, like I said, um, kind of wussy. I'm not too into horror, but I think just in terms of just going back, if you like manga, if you're like me and you just don't really watch anime anymore because it's annoying and everyone looks five and like, <laughs> um, it's, you know, it's like, oh, you got to watch 10 episodes for it to be good. Like Uzumaki is three volumes. It is short. I finished it in a few hours. Dare I say, folks, give it a whirl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like that. It it is like nice and self-contained. It doesn't go and you get so much in those three volumes because you get the short you get so many different like short horror stories. And I think a lot like for me personally, I feel like horror is usually better as a short story, as, at least as far as like novels, uh, go. And I think in, uh, manga, he, uh, Juji Ito has kind of convinced me the same thing as well. Like, because you don't have to spend, like, you can just get to the killing. You can just get to the killing. You don't have to spend so much time saying everything up. And boy, does, uh, and the art, like, my God, like the, th- the fucked up things he comes up to do with the human body is just, uh, amazing, uh, to me. I will never look at snails the same way again. Like, no. I think, I think there's always going to be that scene, um, in, not in Uzumaki, like in Juji Ito in general, where you're like, nope, like, this has ruined me. And for me, even after like what happens to the spiral obsessed dad, that was the scene. I was like, no, <laughs> I don't like snails the, are canceled. Snails, snails. <laughs> snails are canceled. <laughs> well, I mean, so. I don't normally do a lot of research before I do shows because I find that it distracts me. But like 
and reading about his thought process behind coming up with basically all of his work is that apparently he's a very visual thinker and that essentially Uzumaki started with him accidentally drawing a spiral uh, <laughs> while while trying to draw a series of row houses. Whether or not that's true, I mean, he said in interviews, so I'm assuming it's true. Uh, I can see that because just talking broadly about the overall you know, the, the overall manga, which I remember being longer, like reading it over, I was surprised that it's only a handful, maybe like what, 20, 25 chapters long. But like, you can see like the dedication to that central kind of core conceit of the spiral, even in the way the narrative is framed, right? Because like things do escalate quite yes. quickly. Um, but they also escalate quite quickly in a very concentric way. And so yeah. far as so, you know, you have like very, a very slow buildup of these like individual narratives that you know, eventually spiral out of control, whether you're talking about his father becoming a spiral or the girl who has a crush on him, you know, basically eating herself. And then you have like the overall story, which is slowly coming to a head and which again ends in a spiral. And even within the sort of thematically, you see various forms of obsession, which you can be take as like, hey, you know, being uh, focused on oneself to such a degree that it becomes all consuming as a sort of a psychological manifestation of the spiral. And so it, it really, it just manifests in so many interesting ways. And one of my favorite ways is that I really do like the kind of weird, and this is where I say the H.P. Lovecraft stuff really comes into effect too and i'm thinking stuff like color out of space where the spiral is both like a physical alien geometry in the story that's infecting people's minds and also then like slowly corrupting their bodies which is as well as the actual physical geometry of the town right and it starts as a small feeling inside suichi or shirichi and man, and then it quickly spirals out of control. So I, I really like the fact, I really like that alien geometry you see with, hey, you know, like, why are there so many whirlpools in this, in this river? Like, why are there so many, like, whirl, like, you know, whirlwinds in this town? And that becoming more of like, oh, wow, now everything is a spiral. Like people, like people are becoming psychologically obsessed with spirals themselves. They're becoming psychologically obsessed with themselves themselves. They're becoming very, you know, like that, like that aspect of it shows a level of like layered thinking about like everything that the spiral itself is capable of being representative of that I really enjoyed about the, the yeah, that's the brilliant thing about it because it really just, it starts with a snail. It starts with uh, Shuichi's dad staring at this little snail that's on the wall, but then it ends up by the end you have a un massive underground spiral city labyrinth. It starts from this very small thing, and because this huge you know thing that you know I have to say like even though we still don't know what the spiral is by the end it felt extremely satisfying to still see that like I don't I didn't stop reading this and be like wait a minute so what does the spiral really mean it's like no we can't know what the spiral is we uh, like any kind of contact with the spiral will drive you insane it's unknowable by, by man that's where the, you know the HP Lovecraftism uh, comes in because every 
everyone, every single one infected by the spiral is destroyed by it. Even, you know, the cute girl in school, even the, the very nice guy that we like, even the main characters and their parents and their little brothers, all of them are completely and utterly, uh, destroyed by this contact with this, you know, um, eldritch, uh, force that's living underground and there's nothing, absolutely nothing they could have possibly done to save themselves. And I, I kind of love that because at the beginning it starts off very kind of like there's something weird in this town, which is I think kind of a go-to in horror and I think especially like short stories. There's something weird in this town. And the fact that you're correct, it escalates into this H.P. Lovecraft, you know, like just like end of the world scenario and it becomes so bizarre. And yeah, the apocalyptic and going back to – um you ever saying like circles and consuming and going back to that snail at the start, there's these snails and the end is just people who are starving and then consuming the snail people, like going yeah. into this like obor uh, I'm not gonna pronounce it, the snake eating its own tail kind Ouroboros. of Ouroboros. Yeah, thank you. Ouroboros like scenario. And um and I, I love that. I love that it's not, oh, there's this thing and this this curse and it was built on a burial ground. It's just um the true horror is just not knowing what this is and um just yeah that spiral and this ever consuming and i mean slight spoilers for the ending ever repeating you know yeah. scenario time is a flat circle yeah i mean it is well time is a spiral actually yeah. which is much <laughs> which is much more frightening i think because it, it implies that a, a flat circle goes on forever a spiral eventually dissipates mm. into nothingness at some point it reaches it, you know it reaches its core and then it kind of just like peters out but i mean i think Obviously, it hints at at the ending that this what is causing people in the town in the town itself to essentially descend into madness, you know, lose its shape, you know, lose its rationality as representative of people losing their minds and losing their physical forms and town losing its physical form and like laws of physics becoming more and more um, ephemeral and time, time dilation goes. too. Yeah, mm -hmm. time dilation as well is that you know. At the core, I think that the spiral is a, a meme too, right? It's something. It's like it's an infectious yeah. meme. Yes. That's in, not in the sort of like obviously image macro <laughs> definition, but like in like the I, you know, the idea of it. The Richard Dawkins just, definition yeah, of it. Mm -hmm. In the Richard Dawkins, you know, it's a, it's at its core, the spiral is just a shape. Like it's a, it's a very very simple shape. It's one of the first shapes that people draw in the sand when they go to the beach, uh, and it's I would argue probably one of the first shapes anyone ever drew for whatever reason. And so I think that the simplicity of it, and you know, kind of enhances it. It's the appeal of it being as a corrupting force, right? So you have this what is you know because what happens to mostly everyone in this you know in this story is that they get the infected with some kind of idea or whether it's the spiral itself or a psychological uh you know in some ways a lot of these anthology small stories are cautionary tales about particular forms of negative behavior yeah vanity narcissism mm -hmm. yeah vanity narcissism uh introversion uh you know being closed off you know a lot of these are and like also being late to school <laughs> yeah being tardy because you're very because, japanese of them yes very <laughs> yeah i mean because it's you know at this point like, it's culturally mediated it's called like the fear is culturally mediated by you know japanese concerns and taboos and so like vanity you know and like 
uh, obviously being too obsessed with your appearance, these things, you know, being in some ways and with the first girl being promiscuous or leading men on when you have no interest of committing, like all these things come to a head within the story. And again, what I think is very interesting and very, you know, skillful is that he's able to turn what what is a broad range of like essentially social taboos into a one manifestation of like, hey, this thing is able to bring out your worst fear, your worst fucking trait and concentrate it. And it's, and like, again, and from my take, my interpretation is that like, this was a town built on an old, essentially ground that was where the people used to worship an old god and like no sacrifices have to be made and they will always be made and that's just the way things are and i think that level of like inevitability is also represented by the spiral like you know eventually it just ends <laughs> like things just things just go on and they restart or they might you know they might not so uh i got i gotta ask the question so what was your favorite monster and what was your most repellent monster what's the month what's the one that you kind of liked because it's creepy and what's the one that made you shut shut the book oh wow um going back oddly enough i think it mine mine is both um the snails because like i said I'm, i'm fond of animals i think snails are very interesting i think it's interesting premise and then also snails because body horror terrifies me. Yeah. So it's not just a different monster or someone kind of becoming a dick and having bad hair or something. It's just, you know, because obviously at the start, it's like, oh, here's the slow kid. We're going to bully him. But then the bullies and then the teacher by proxy, like, mutate into these animals and they're completely like – unrecognizable and they start mating with each other you know and everyone's like repulsed and um yeah so uh, honestly both um this like the snails snails and snails (laughs) yeah both of those are probably my most like iconic and yet like repulsive like um kind of monsters in uzumaki Unfortunately, I have to echo that because the snails for me were the most disgusting and also I couldn't just, I couldn't tear my eyes away from it because you, it happened so slowly. And like, I think the passage of time, one of the reasons why I thought the manga was longer is because each segment does a very good job of making you feel as though time has actually passed. Yeah. Uh, like, like over, like, you know, these, these things aren't happening in a day they're happening over the course of like a month or two um and sometimes they're happening concurrently like even if you don't see it in the manga um but the snails itself it's not very often that i can recall that there is such a good mix of like body horror or like horror horror like you know physical horror and like psychological terror like you know yeah. like this idea that you're that you're being that like your thing that you can't trust is yourself and anything that's in your head and i think one of the things that uzumaki does so well as you know i've been mentioning over and over again is that like it combines the two in a way that is quite quite like frightening where it's like it really it's not just essentially that you're going mad or that you know things are that you know not that you're going mad 
by itself is that you're going mad and that madness is rep- is being represented by physical changes to your body that, that that are not in your head like these this is not in your head you are going crazy but things are also being like fucked up on the outside and so this kind of meshing of those two worlds was like yeah no psychologically this is having an effect on your brain but also that effect is being compounded by like slow slow uh, physiological changes and the snail I think is the best encapsulation of that where it's like yeah this person has a very specific personality flaw uh you know he's slow he's tardy he's shiftless he's lazy again something that could be represented by the spirals you know the spiral being not a line or rather the spiral being a line that essentially goes nowhere it's not productive in any way it it has no real sort of distance traveled um but like that particular personality trait becomes more or less uh kind of like I don't know, ironic curse. Like a lot of stuff is ironic too. Like it's just like, you know, like people getting not necessarily their just desserts, but people having their psychological problems or psychological hangups or personal flaws becoming uh, manifested as physical, like, you know, as, as physical deformities or physical changes. So the snail thing for me was like, because I'm lazy as well. I was like, fuck, I don't want to be a snail. <laughs> yeah. So for me, you, th- that's interesting. You mentioned that, Brandon, like the different types of horror in this, because, you know, you have the psychological horror, you have the body horror, you have the cosmic horror, obviously more towards the end. And you also have kind of the slasher type horror and so for me my favorite monsters were actually the mos- the pregnant mosquito women and oh. how they were drilling into like a when that scene when they drill into the nurse to drink her blood oh that was so fucked that was so fucked in like the good way the way that i was like oh man that this is intense i gotta read more the one that made me almost want to stop and close the book was the row house wart infection that one because i have tryptophobia and that when like when those warts those spiral warts start growing out of everyone including especially the main characters that i'm like i have shakes right now just talking about it i'm not even looking at that but i feel chills going over my body that one really really um fucked me up i did not like that junji not that type of body horror that's that not sticks with you yeah that should that does stick with you and especially cause, because like, I, I i don't have tryptophobia but i was repulsed you know what i mean like i was like uh <laughs> yeah. especially because there are conditions like that in the real world that you can get and uh no 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 uh not for me not for me well, yeah uh-huh. again i think he does a good job of like i mentioned the meme aspect of it and again like of like making this seem like an, an like a, a literal infection like it's an infection that is not only spreading across the geography but an infection that's spreading across all aspects of the society itself and you know what I again what I like about the structure of the of the manga and the structure of well each individual story is that you still get this sense of like inevitability and inability to it's it's like a whirlpool like there is an inability like first it's like a well I rather put it this way at first you find yourself wondering like well they should just fucking leave it's like once the like once the whole cloud shit occurred and like yeah. my father's body was like stuffed into a water drum like I would have left if and my then, father was obsessed with spirals I would simply leave yeah. and like 
And you find, yeah, I would, I would simply just get the fuck out of uh, Kuroshiso <laughs> because, like, the, you know, move to more uh, Midoriyama or whatever the fuck other place he was going to school in. But like that again, that goes to, like the, the aspect. Like they don't seem to be able to extricate themselves from the situation. And at first, it's just like a psychological, or like they don't even mention the fact that they haven't left yet. They just keep talking about like we should leave, we should leave, we should leave. And then when they finally do try to leave, they just they they can't. They literally can't. And so you see this kind of weird escalation of just like, well, why aren't they learning anything? Like, like why after the second story, after watching someone's head turn into a black hole and consume their entire body haven't they like gotten up from you know the town and left they it's, it's a train ride away and you know there is no explanation for their desire to stay past that point which again you can you can look at it as another manifestation of that theme like well they just can't get the, you know, they, they can't escape this situation why they can't escape it is you know often the question in harm where they like, well why don't you just leave but in this case i think that if it's so well with the theme thematically like oh well yeah it's like of course they can't leave you know and you know like they don't even they think they should be able to leave and i think that's one of the aspects that makes it very scary like hey you know, we, we should go we should go we should go and but they can't and it becomes an again another one of those like weird escalations moving from psychological to physical to even like i would say temporal like you they, they just can't move i think this is an allegory for capitalism right like oh <laughs> your your town that the you know the banks closed all the factories and stuff why don't you move you know oh like you know your your town's being ransacked you know by natural disaster why don't you move <laughs> I, and you know i, I did want to ask you about this like what because there is some you know class commentary or at least presence uh in this because when juzi ito or the story he based it um on like his fears of living in a row house like the ones in the story and we're told in the story that this is where like poor people live or like squatters have to live there are these old rundown buildings not necessarily with electricity or running water or uh anything like that or, or any of these modern amenities um that people are kind of forced to live live in if they you know fall on hard times so do you think you know besides just the mention of that there are poor people if there's any sort of you know class commentary uh in it i do think it's interesting that the main character's family ends up having to move into the row ho- row house after their home is destroyed by a hurricane well you don't usually see uh something like that where you know the middle class family you know falls on hard times and i think most of the characters in the story they're not really like super uh upper class i think we're supposed to get the impression that the even like the high school the reason uh shuichi is going to the other high school is because he's tested and been able to go to the better high school while all the other kids are kind of like at the middling high school if for people who don't know in japan there's like uh there is like you test into high school just like you do in college in the united states so like they send kids to worse schools in their schools. Of course we do that in America too. We just like, it's just not like bladed and like part, <laughs> like formalized, you know, as it is in Japan. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's an explicitly anti-capitalist narrative, but I think that you can, you can craft a, an, you know, a horror story that is 
critical or if not critical acknowledges the inescapability or the fear of spiraling down from the upper middle class, the middle class to poverty and all the associated aspects of policy, you know, poverty, like infection, sickness, uh, you know, social disgrace, uh, any of those sort of like loss of face, any of those things that one would normally associate with poverty without having, you know, an economic part to that. Cause I think that's part of what I wouldn't say this is an explicit like anti-capitalist narrative. I think that it's an acknowledgement that poverty sucks, which is yeah. a thing that people realize, uh, you know, without necessarily having to come from, uh, you know, inherently leftist, you know, or, or rather a self-consciously or reflexively like leftist perspective. It's just one of those things where like, hey, you know what? A lot of people fear falling into poverty, but what they lack is the language to, uh, the language to articulate what exactly, you know, causes people to fall into poverty outside of like, you know, happenstance, right? Because in this particular case, you know, like what is causing essentially Shuichi and the rest of the town to fall into uh what is essentially like extreme, extreme deprivation is a unseen force that can best be described as like a cosmic old god cosmic, you know, horror, right? Uh like but that is, but we know, I mean, while capitalism, I think can, you can draw really, really interesting parallels between like capitalism and the structures that exist within our society to prop it up, uh, and cosmic car. And I've done so in the past because I think that there is a certain aspect of like, once you become fully aware of the breadth of capitalism, the breadth of the institutions that support it, the breadth of various other structures of oppression, it becomes very easy to become paralyzed by the fear that that would cause because like, you know, for better or worse, if you're unaware of it, or rather if you have a different interpretation, uh, more centrist, more, you know, reactionary interpretation for, for why people are poor, the individualized nature of that a narrative in your head is much easier to digest It's much easier to kind of dismiss or understand or, you know, put boundaries on. But once you like accept like a leftist critique of the world that, Hey, you know what? There are these structures that exist out there. They are more or less acephalous. They have their own inertia, their own agency. And to change them would require such a Herculean effort, uh, it you know it becomes very easy to fall into a nihilism or despair, which I think that again is represented within the pages of Uzumaki. But I think you can draw instinctually, you can draw like in, not necessarily reactionarily, but like reactively or instinctually, or just you know without necessarily understanding the full mechanisms from like a theory perspective on that fear of the unknown, on that fear of like this force out there that might strip you of everything you have and plunge you into deprivation uh, without necessarily being able to name it. And in that case, you know, you have, you have a cosmic entity as well. It's a nameless horror, right? Like, you know, Junji Ito, I don't know what his politics are. He seems like a pretty smart guy. He might not be socialist. He might be any number of things, but understanding that like there are forces that exist out there that control your life and can take you from being a relatively happy, sane, healthy, physically healthy individual, mentally healthy individual, and plunge you into a, a state of maldistribution of resources and, and ill access to healthcare is, you know, it's it's common sense that that happens all the time. Yeah, and it's happening in Japan too. Like uh, their population 
is declining from uh, 2010 to 2015. I wrote an article about this. Like Japan lost a million people, like just straight up a million people uh, in five years. And you can just imagine like when you spread that out over the countryside, like there's like ghost towns in Japan now, not so different uh, than the town in Uzumaki. Like this is stuff that's really uh, happening where people are slowly uh, disappearing. And you can see like lots of Japanese horror has it like the grudge um, has something separate, even though that does take place in Tokyo for the most part, um, you do have like these disappearing towns, like where there's like three kids at the elementary school, you know, like that sort of thing does happen in on the, in these little towns in these side areas where all the young people, they go to the city for a university and they never come back. The factory has sh shut down, you know, during the um, big, the great depression and like there's just they're just dead and dying and of course the uh, deeming there uh for a lot of part for a lot of reasons for mostly is you know capitalism that's the eldritch horror at the center of this so whether you know junji ito understands it or not it's you know it's kind of there it does and i mean i think that you guys hit the nail on the head a little bit there too where when it comes to these small ghost towns both in japan and all across the, the you know the developed world with the post-industrial developed world like the capitalism represents uh, existential threat maybe not to the well yes to the entire world but when it comes to like a story like um uzumaki it's like the town is the entire world at least by the end you know they can't leave they can never go anywhere there's no access to any place else so it's the entire world for a lot of these small towns is that town itself and it becomes like a slowly dying thing Right. I think, you know, again, the flat circle, the idea of like time as this cyclical thing is, you know, comforting. It's much more comforting than the idea of time as this thing that's slowly running out. You know, it's not a quick death. It's a slow, slow spiral into decay. Right. And so I think we're talking about like capitalism as this existential nameless monstrosity because again for a lot of people within our society capitalism is put into a black box by the various powers that be which again sounds kind of conspiratorial but it's just it's not part of their worldview it's not part of their ideology so they don't name it or recognize it as a contributing factor to a lot of these declines and so it just becomes this nameless threat that people are sort of that are me people are mediating their lives through, but they are incapable of incorporating it into their language to understand it. So, you know, you have these forms of decay that are entirely, you know, contributable to capitalism, but it lacks purchase in people's heads. You know, they, it, it lacks it, 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 and because it lacks purchase in people's heads, it's not actionable. It's nothing that you can do about it. And you just, you're forced to just live, relive these experiences in a way that is not very productive and largely, if you were to incorporate new information, irrationally. Yeah. Right. I think that rationality, especially in stories that involve cosmic horror and even body horror in this case, like becomes a very big, big, big theme insofar as that, like, you know, as human beings, we are expected, you know, one of the things that we think makes us better than animals and people who are literally insane is that we can navigate these worlds rationally and you know capitalism and in this case the spiral makes us not be able to do that both because it you know essentially affects our ability to cope and and sort of interpret 
the world with our five senses, but also because in Uzumaki, it changes the world around us to be almost unrecognizable. Yeah. So let me uh, give a quote about that, that uh, you know, about rationality and addressing capitalism that kind of ties this all together. This is a quote from a Shinzo Abe. Uh, of, you know, who's the prime minister of Japan. I would say that before accepting immigrants or refugees, we need to have more activities by women, elderly people, and we must raise our birth rate. There are many things that we should do before accepting immigrants. So he's saying, you know, you have this declining population. All the baby boomers are going to be old and need to be taken care of. There's not going to be enough young people to keep the productivity up. So his idea is to make women work more and elderly people work uh, longer. Uh, for, you know, Japan rejected 99% of refugees in 2015. They have very, very strict uh, immigration laws, needlessly so. So, yeah, instead of, you know, addressing the problem, the problem directly like we will say we'll just make people work harder and uh longer like when you're dealing with with, with any strain of nationalism and ethno-nationalism uh, especially in a neoliberal world and uh, a reactionary neoconservative world too you're talking about people who don't understand that the influx of migration from the global south from developing nations from nations that have had like large portions of their wealth extracted from them by the globe you know by the global north or from core countries everyone understand it it, like they are the primary victims of the neoliberal like extraction of capital, right? They're not, but under the ethno-national nationalist framework, they become the primary sort of actors of social decay within a country. You know, they become like, oh, we can't let all these immigrants in because they are they are what is causing any myriad of problems, but. More or less, again, this kind of just broad, ethereal argument that they lead to societal decay and malaise, you know, that is again founded upon no real evidence other than that they, that they're, like they're in, that rather other than that, that they're, them immigrating to the country is correlated with that social decay, that kind of decay of, of, you know, economic opportunity, that sort of decay of other, of other aspects of society. It's like, you know, it's a confusion of correlation for causation because I think on the left and other sort of leftist spaces, we understand that like there's a mediating factor there and that's capitalism. Yeah. So, Brandon, I, I, I would, you know, it was a very brilliant point you just made, but I couldn't help be distracted by the fact that you used the word extraction and that just made me think neoliberal extraction. What would be the shape of that? That would be a spiral. You did mention decay. <laughs> what would be the shape of that? That will also be a spiral. I think we have been talking about this too long. We are <laughs> we being infected ourselves by the spiral. Jack just sent me a message. He says, something's up with me today, feeling sick to my stomach and slept all afternoon he is becoming a snail we have all ourselves been infected by a spiral and we need to close it out before it's too late all right well i mean okay i guess i'll just i'll i'll close it up first i'm just taking over the show because why not well yeah i agree and i think that the reason why you know the spiral lends itself to so many of these like weird psychological eccentricities or fears is because that just the shape of it invokes this sense of like inability to escape right and i think that when you look at horror when you look at the things that frighten people the most 
across the spectrum of like, you know, cross-culturally all over the place, really. I think it's one thing, like, it's a loss of agency. This idea that, hey, you know what? I cannot control my own actions either because I'm, I've lost control of my body. I've lost control of my mind. I know I am imprisoned. I am possessed. I am bound. I am, you know, in the case of audition, amputated my feet. <laughs> um, you know, like that, like the image of that whirlpool or that obsession or that sort of incredible, incredible hyper focus on oneself is a very jarring visualization of so many different kind of hangups that could be easily attributed to such a loss of agency or a loss of ability to control oneself. Junji Ito, he says his big goal as I think a mangaka is to take something um, normal and make it terrifying. So um, I want to say thanks to him now. I'm scared of a snails, mosquitoes, pregnancies, <laughs> perms, washing machines, miso soup, and probably a hundred other things I'll think of when I go to bed. I <laughs> uh, love it. Yeah. Um, I have to say uh, Uzumaki again. One of the best things I've ever, ever read, the way it just builds and builds to something that from, you know, these very small horror short stories, these morality tales, Brandon said, to, you know, this big, wide, apocalyptic end of the world style thing, at least end of the world for this town and all the residents in it is just simply masterful. Um, Jinji Ito has a brilliant and terrifying mind and I love uh, his work and I look forward to talking about more of his stuff alright folks that is Struggle Session Brandon where can people find you? you can find me as always under your bed at 3am <laughs> in the morning <laughs> making incredibly disturbing guttural sounds um, I would suggest that you don't look um, that you never look. Um, <laughs> but if you were to look, you can also find me on SoundCloud at essentially soundcloud.com backslash expand the discourse. You could you can find my podcast on iTunes if you just search for the discourse. I think it's the only one. And I am dedicated to, you know, the same things that Junji Ito are, is, which is, you know, making the normal seem abnormal. And but probably less frightening. Alright. Folks, that was struggle session. Have a good one.
like what you hear, want to hear more, check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or strugglesession.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.